Well, good evening once again, brothers and sisters. Greetings in Jesus' name, you know. I feel like you're more brothers and sisters than when I got here. I just am getting to know you and... Week's done. Doesn't seem fair. Invite you to turn to our theme song one more time. <clears throat> Number 382, I'm pressing on the upward way. And you're free to respond. Ah, thank you. Yes, if nothing else, you remember that my poor illustration of trying to show you it takes effort, takes life. You're not going to coast to glory, folks. You need to keep pressing on. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm onward bound, Lord plant my feet on higher ground, Lord lift me up and let me stand, my faith on that's what the Lord has done for you this week that he's enabled you just to rise above where you were 
before this week started. Brothers and sisters, thank you. Thank you for your hospitality, for welcoming me into your home. I feel like that's where I really get to know people. I appreciate that very much. And I extend an invitation to you. Um, Perry Sound is on the map. Our phone number is available. Brother Dennis will have it if no one else does, and you're more than welcome to. We, we, we'd love the opportunity to repay that hospitality. And thank you for your monetary gift. I always feel kind of ashamed to receive a love offering for preaching. Because truly, I love preaching. And I would preach for free in a heartbeat. I'm glad to be here with you and share, and I've appreciated your openness and your honesty, your willingness to just let the Spirit examine your heart as we went through this week. Brothers and sisters, wherever you have grown, hear this clearly. It's been a result of your willingness to yield to the Spirit's power. And it says that he which has begun a work in you will continue it. And he's going to perfect you. And he's going to make you greater and stronger and more powerful as you go along. As long as you just seek him with your whole heart. But in another way, I'm kind of glad it's Sunday night. I've got a plane ticket for a pretty early flight out of Rochester tomorrow morning. And brothers and sisters, by the grace of God, I intend to be sitting in that seat when the plane leaves the ground. <clears throat> it's nothing that you have done. But I will confess to you that oh, I've enjoyed being here. My heart is elsewhere. I miss my home. I miss my children. It's been great to see yours here. I miss my wife. I'm just a little bit homesick. And I ask you this evening, are you homesick? Are you homesick for heaven? Have you made the preparations? Are you ready to go? Can you honestly say as we sang that there's peace in your soul? When the heavens roll back and that trumpet sounds that you can say, even so... Lord Jesus, come. That's why we have revival meetings. So that we can live in a prepared state so that when the Lord returns, we're ready to go. I told you, I know where I like to start and I always know where I like to end. And brothers and sisters, tonight we want to look at the Lord's return. And I invite you this evening to a parable that Jesus told regarding his return. Matthew chapter 25. And I'm well aware that there are all kinds of different interpretations about Bible prophecy. It is dangerous for you to map out in your mind exactly how end time events are going to happen. There are people that will say, this and this and this needs to take place. And another viewpoint that will say that's all taking place. I don't know what you subscribe to in eschatology here. And it doesn't matter because all prophecy agrees on one point. And that is the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ will return for his bride. And that's what we want to focus on this evening. 
The second coming of Christ is mentioned 318 times in the 260 chapters of the New Testament. It occupies one in every 25 verses from Matthew right through Revelation. That's how important this topic is. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared. Starbucks has a slogan that I like. Life is short. Stay awake. Jesus, talking about his return though, gives a story that is very sobering. In Matthew 25, we have the parable of the ten virgins. I'd just like to read that at this time, verses 1 through 13. Jesus said, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were wise, sorry, they that were foolish, took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. In the midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. May the Lord bless this portion of his word. The reason this portion stirs my heart so much tonight, brothers and sisters, is because of what this parable signifies. The fact that they were ten virgins tells me they were all believers. They were all Christians. They were ones who had started out on their way. They all had lamps and the lamps were all burning. Because when the foolish wake up, they say, our lamps have gone out. They were all burning. They had started. They were on their way to meet the bridegroom. But something happened along the way. And their lamps, their lamps went out. And my heart is stirred this evening with the realization that just because I've had an experience with Christ doesn't automatically guarantee that I have no tending of the flame to do from here till the time that either God calls me home or he comes to get us. And I believe very strongly this evening that the oil that is referred to here is referring to the Holy Spirit. He is the flame that kindles our life. He is the one that bears witness that we truly are the sons and daughters of God. We are warned in Ephesians 4.30 And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And that verse is saying, don't cause the Holy Spirit sorrow by the way you're living. You can shut the door on the Holy Spirit. I will tell you, surrender, allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you, 
is not a one-time thing. It is a constant, daily surrender to God. Why, why is it that lamps go out? Is it possible that we're careless and that there's a chance that flame in my life is sputtering and smoking and just about to be extinguished? What causes that? Why do lamps go out? It's quite simple. It's when we allow other things to become more important than Jesus Christ in our life. Jesus warned about that very thing happening in the parable of the sowers. He talked about the possibility that tares could overcome the good seed in Matthew 13, verse 22. He's explaining it to his disciples. And he said, He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. Now it would be nice to say that this was seed that never ever had a chance because there was never fruit there in the first place. But Jesus is talking about the possibility of us becoming unfruitful. And he was concerned about that very thing happening to his own disciples. Because he mentions it in his prayer for them. In that high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. He told the Father, he said, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil that is present there in the world. And Jesus prayed that for you and I as well. Because in that prayer, he prayed that extension. He said, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. We have believed on Jesus Christ through the gospel, which was written by the disciples. We have believed on Jesus Christ through their word. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. We live way too comfortable on this world. We are such ironic people. We say that we believe we're strangers and pilgrims. And yet all we seem to do here on this earth is see how much we can amass and how comfortable we can make ourselves. Totally the opposite to the way that Jesus said we're supposed to be living. You know, if you believe everything is going to burn in a judgment day, do you ever stop to consider that whatever that dream or that goal is that you're striving for, whether it be a car or a home or a business or whatever it is, it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. And how foolish we will look when the Lord looks down on us and He opens those books and He sees how much time we spend on the destructibles and not enough time on the incorruptibles. Do you know what? It is... It's nothing new. There were so many. So many that wanted to follow Jesus. But things constantly got in the way. Luke chapter 9 verse 57 says, as they came to pass, as they went by the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I'll follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, and see, Jesus is good here, because Jesus sees right into the heart, and each time he addresses what the heart issue is with this person, he said to him, foxes have holes, and the birds of air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, 
Suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now it seems to be pretty harsh because we're talking about home. We're talking about connections. We're talking about good and right and proper things. And Jesus says, they can turn your heart away from the kingdom. Yes, it is possible. It is very possible that good and right and proper things can turn us away from God. Because we give them a higher priority than Jesus Christ in our life. And we say there are no idols in our life. We Do we even know what modern day idolatry looks like? No, we don't get down and offer incense to some idol made of wood. But we sure put the spit and polish on things sometimes and we grin at the reflection that we see coming back at us. If we could just see things the way God sees them. The sobering aspect was that all these virgins signify Christian people. And I think the next important aspect in this parable is the fact that the groom is going to come. Jesus Christ is coming for his bride, the church. Do you realize that you're part of that bride this evening? Do you realize that he is the head of the body and we're all just body underneath that? He loved it so much that he gave himself for it. And I thought... Maybe this was where Brother Warren was going when he went into Ephesians 5, because Ephesians 5, a little bit later on, says, telling husbands how to relate to their wives, and then he says, even to love their wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Jesus has died for us. He has... And he didn't go through all that just as an exercise to see what would happen. He gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it by the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself. A spotless bride. A glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish. And we talked about that the other night. God has given us white garments. And he's done it so that we realize we live above the filth of this world. Yes, it's a song of victory. The church will be victorious. Jesus is coming for his bride, and there is going to be a bride that's prepared and waiting. And Jesus promised in Matthew 16, 18, he said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I misinterpreted this verse for so many years, I'm embarrassed. Because somehow, when Jesus says he's going to build his church, I see a fortress going up. And that's what the church is. Sure it is. It, it, it's a strong place. It's a place where we come into, and we encourage each other, and we're built up. But let me tell you something. The church is not a place where Christ redeems his bride and sticks them inside of, so that they're totally separated from the world, and they're just sitting there waiting for his return. But yet I got that picture because it says in the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, this is a place of refuge. This is a place of safety. But then I realized the gates of hell. What kind of a weapon are gates? If hell's on the offensive, 
Isn't that kind of a unique weapon? What are gates for? You all know what gates are for. It's to keep things in. Jesus Christ is saying that his church is supposed to grow and be victorious to the very point that it's out there and it's pressing as it were the very gates of hell and souls that have been trapped by the devil that are heading for that. We are plucking out as brands from the burning. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. That is the victorious church. But are we living that way? Are we truly living that way? You know, how long ago did he give this promise? It was thousands of years ago. Thousands of years. And he still hasn't come. And because he hasn't come, look at the church. Look at the parable. Do you see something that's crying out a warning to us? It says, while the bridegroom tarried. In 2 Peter 3, 3 and 4, it talks about people scoffing. They say, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And they don't believe there's going to be a destruction. And it goes on further to say that they're willingly ignorant of the fact that God did destroy this earth one time. He destroyed it by a flood. And there's all kinds of physical evidence for that flood out here on this earth. But people don't remember that. And they say, he hasn't come. He's not going to come. And the church somehow is content and is drifting and slowly being lulled to sleep. What is a sleeping church? It's a content church. It's a church that has no passion. It's a church that has no burning desire for God. Oh, they want God. But you know, I can say for certainty that the church is not awake the way it should be. If it was, if we realize the sort of battle that's going on, when that tempter comes along and he tries to bring whatever it is, and I tell you, he's very good at this, if he tries to bring division within the church, what does the church do? They start looking at each other and they start fighting. And once we're fighting each other, the devil just sits back and he grins because we're doing his work for him. And we should be living opposite to that. We should be putting aside all distractions. We'd be telling him, not now. We're waiting for that trumpet to sound. We're looking up. We can see the gleam of that trumpet being raised. We're expecting the Lord any moment. Are you expecting that to happen in the next five seconds? It would be awesome. It would be glorious. But we're not living that way. You know what? An affluent society has lulled us into complacency. Christianity says God is blessing the church in North America. Look at all that we have. Look at all that he's given on us. Let me tell you something. Prosperity has been harder on the church than persecution. Persecution, anytime it shows up, it fans the flames. People know where they stand. They stand and they give their lives for it. And they don't worry about all that stuff that they were trying to accumulate because they weren't. They weren't. And yet prosperity is that two-edged sword. We somehow believe that God is blessing us. 
And that we're going to be able to use this to his honor and glory. And that somehow along the way, we're losing the fire. The flame is sputtering. It's in danger of going out. We're becoming lukewarm. We're becoming adapted to the climate of the world around us. And what are some of the signs that that's happening? Let me tell you something. Sin loses its perspective. We no longer blush at sin. And I'm not talking about just a little glow on the cheeks here. I'm talking about a crimson face blushing. Jeremiah 6 verse 15. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Stand ye in the way and see. And ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. Brothers and sisters, when we get off the path and we are knowingly off that path, we are on dangerous ground. We're on dangerous ground. Back to our parable here. The cry arose. Behold, he cometh. What cry was that? Where did that cry come from? Who do you think this evening is supposed to be sounding that cry that the Lord is coming again? It's not the trump. It's the cry that he is coming again. What is it? It's supposed to be the church. The church is supposed to be the alarm clock for the world. We're the ones who are supposed to be out there warning people. And how is it that we're sitting idly by? I'll tell you why it is. We say it on a head level, but we really have a hard time believing it on a heart level. And I say that with certainty or we'd be acting differently. Years ago, there was a major earthquake out in San Francisco. And some of those bridges that crossed the bay started collapsing. And I will recall to the day I die some images I saw because a man was driving down that freeway when it collapsed there. And he stopped his car and he got over to the side and he got his camcorder out and he started videotaping. And he videotaped cars coming down that freeway going over the brink and down into the bay. I to this day don't know why he did that. How could he do that? Why wouldn't you get out there and run down towards him and wave your arms and say, Stop! There's danger ahead! Maybe he did. Maybe he did and he wasn't heated. But brothers and sisters, do you truly believe that the people who aren't ready to die are going to hell? What are you doing about it? Are we just sitting idly by, content that we got stopped safely off to the side of the freeway and we're just going to kind of watch everything else that goes on? Let me tell you what's wrong with mainstream Christianity today. We have gotten a warped view of God. What is it? that motivates you to witness and reach out to people. What is the gospel doctrine of today? God loves you. God loves you. Just come as you are. 
Your comfort is the most important thing. God accepts you the way you are and He's going to take care of you. All you got to do is turn all the things over to Him. And It is such a skewed gospel because it's only half the truth. That mercy, that love that God has is there. Yes. And it will cover anything. But there's a motivating factor behind that love that should be real in our lives. Now, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 11, talks about judgment. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one of us may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. There is coming a day when all deeds will be judged. Knowing, therefore, the love and the mercy and the grace of the Lord, we're going to warn everybody. It says, no, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Do you believe that God, who has all that love and mercy, will one day reign in judgment? And that if you're not prepared, you will go to hell. We don't like to think about that. And let me tell you something. The devil is busy making sure we don't think about that. Do you ever wonder what the push and the craze is behind the entertainment industry in our world today? Amusement. Muse means to think, seriously. Amuse renders it into the negative, and it means not to have a care in the world. Don't even think about it. And why would you want to be amused? Why do you want to be entertained? Why is the devil doing that? He's drawing a curtain in front of all those people that he's leading blindly towards that edge. So it's too late when they slip over. They don't realize what's been going on. Do you know, the key to being ready is to re remind each other constantly, the Lord is coming back. The Lord is coming back. When's the last time you turned to brother and sister? Hey, today could be the day the Lord could come back. Malachi 3, 16 and 17 says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. The Lord hearkened, heard it, and the book of remembrance was written before him of them that feared him and thought upon his name, and they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts in that day when I make up my jewels. I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. And then in Hebrews, it says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he's faithful at promise. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now I want to ask you, what is the trend in our churches? Because this concerns me gravely. Why is it? And it's not coincidence that on our midweek services, attendance is pitiful. And I don't know a thing about you right here. Maybe you said great attendance. God bless you if you do. I'm speaking about our own church that I know. And churches that I've been in, somebody said you can take the spiritual thermometer of a church by a Wednesday evening census. Who is really concerned enough to get together in the middle of the week and pray about things anymore? And why is it that we find it so easy to cancel church services? Well, this interferes with that, and you know what? We're all busy, and we've got other things going to go. Well, let's just cancel this. It's so easy. Exactly the opposite to the way we should be living. If you truly believe the world's getting worse, and the return of the Lord is getting closer, the Bible exhorts us to get together more often, not less often.
You know, Jesus said there'd be signs of his coming. And he gives some of them in the previous chapter, chapter 24. He tells them that there's going to be an explosion of cults and of people proclaiming to be the Christ or the way. And I ask you, how many faiths are springing up? People that are saying, this is the way, or this is, and, and here's the doctrine that's out there. We're all seeing, we're all seeing the same God. We're just looking from different viewpoints, the same mountain. I will tell you something, brothers and sisters. There is no other way. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There are no other gods out there. There are no other ways. He said there'd be wars. He said there'd be famines. He said there'd be earthquakes. And I will tell you this, if you start looking, and they're keeping records now, earthquakes and famines and natural disasters like tsunamis are taking place on a greater and a more frequent scale. It's like all of creation has groaning and travail under the weight of the sin and they're just waiting for the Lord to bring judgment so that it can be destroyed and He can create a new earth. God is giving us all kinds of warning signs. It says that the persecution of His followers would be another sign. I understand that in the past decade, more souls have given their life for the cause of Christ than in all the previous years since Jesus Christ died. Yeah, we don't have persecution here. We hardly know what it's like. But believe it, there are places where naming the name of Christ means you still die for your faith. Jesus tells us further what the condition of the world is going to be. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. People, deaf to the gospel. All the while Noah prepared that ark, that hundred years he was building it, the most visible symbol there ever was. And Jesus said, we're supposed to be visible. Jesus says, we're supposed to be a light. We're supposed to be a city that's set on a hill. We're supposed to be identified to the world as a place where we're reflecting the only hope that there is. And they preach, and they preach, and they preach, and they see little or zero <coughs> return. I ask you, where are we now? Brothers and sisters, we're definitely in the end times. And because we're in the end times, we need to remain busy. You know, there's been all kinds of predictions. And I know that deep down inside, the world fears this too, because do you remember the consternation of the year 2000? How so many people were afraid that there'd be some great event taking place? Oh, it goes back before that, way back in 88. Somebody wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. I mean, more recently we've had this chap called Harold Camping who bought billboards all across North America and predicted exactly the day the Lord was going to return. And you know what, something? I almost guarantee you that is the day the Lord will not return because Jesus said, no man knows the hour. Not even him. God alone knows. But you know what really gets me? When all these people make their predictions, if we truly believe the Lord's return is imminent, let's not fall into this trap. What do you do when you're at work and you have an immensely important job, and you're racing the clock to try to get it done because you know you just can't get it all done. 
Do you just go, ho hum, throw up your feet and sit there and eat the last apple in your lunch kit? Or do you work as hard as you possibly can up to quitting time so you get as much done as possible? These people, they get their picnic baskets, they get their lawn chairs, they go out and they sit on the hillside and they wait for the Lord to return at that moment. And they sit there and they wait and they wait. And he doesn't return. The Lord isn't returning for people who are sitting there selfishly waiting for his return. He's returning for those that will be busy doing his work and his service. Back to our parable here. The cry went up. And they all arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish found out that there was just no more oil in their lamps. There was nothing. It was gone. And they ask the wise. They ask the spiritual. They say, give us of your oil. And this is a very, very sobering aspect of this parable too, brothers and sisters. The oil is not transferable. The answer was, you've got to go, you've got to buy it from the source. And this evening, I can guarantee you, the Holy Spirit has to come from the source. Just because your parents were the most godly people on earth, or your grandparents were, or your dad's a preacher, or your mother's praying all the time, I will tell you there is no osmosis process where that comes through to you. You and you alone will have to get oil from the source. It's between you and God. Because at that day, when judgment falls, the books are going to be open. And there's two books. There's a book of life, and inside that book of life are written all the names of those that will be entering into glory. And as God goes through judgment, everyone is brought before Him. And believe me, time has ended. Time has ended. If you don't think that judgment is going to be thorough, God will have every single moment he needs to go through the second book, which is the book of deeds. And in that is written everything that Tom Todd has done and thought, his motives, his actions, the reasons he did things. And there will be time for a thorough judgment of each one of us. Nobody, nobody will escape this. There are people today who cremate themselves. They get their ashes spread to the four winds. They go out over the sea in the ocean. Why do people do that? Because there's this nagging fear in the back of their minds. They know. They know. God has put eternity in our hearts and we know that there will be. Why do people fear death? It's not just the fact that it's an unknown. No, it's because in our conscious state that God created, we realize one day there will be a reckoning. And we're going to realize that that is just. There is nobody that is going to be judged by God and that goes to hell and says, I don't deserve this. And as proof of that, we have the account that Jesus gave of the rich man and Lazarus. And you know how that goes, how the rich man winds up down there in torment and flames. And when he sees Lazarus up there in Abraham's bosom and he cries up there, he does not ever say... Why is Lazarus there and I'm down here? What does he say? 
He says, Father Abraham, just get Lazarus to dip his finger in a glump of water and come down here and cool my tongue because I'm tormented by the flames. He knew he deserved to be where he was. And Abraham says, I'm sorry, there's this gulf fixed. Nobody, nobody can cross this gulf. And so does the rich man begin to beg and plead and say, well, i got to get to the other side. No, he doesn't. He says, well, if he can't come here, he says, send him back. Send him back to earth because i got five brothers and I do not want them to end up here. And Abraham tells him, he says very clearly, they have Moses and the prophets. Though one should raise from the dead, they will not believe him. Referring to Jesus Christ. In spite of the fact that Jesus Christ came and died for us and rose again. There are people who do not believe. But there are those who will be ready. Those that who, who will go with him. In John 14, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And brothers and sisters, it's going to be such a glorious scene. There in glory. There's going to be some from every tribe and nation. They're going to come from the east and the west and the north and the south. And they're going to sit down in the kingdom of God. And they're going to be there around that banquet table. And they're going to feast with Christ throughout eternity. And it'll be the most wonderful experience. I can't begin to describe it. But the sad news will be, the door will be shut. It says that very clearly here in our parable. They that were ready went in with him, and the door was shut. Just like in the time of Noah. Noah obeyed God, got ready. God said, go in that ark. He went in the ark. He sat there for a week. God closed the door. Noah didn't. And that way when people started knocking on that door and they said, no, open the ark, open the ark. There wasn't a thing he could do. He couldn't open that door. God had closed the door. And the same thing is going to happen. Those ones that had delayed, that were waiting for the last moment to get things in order, that tried to go and find what they needed, were too late. And they come back and the door was shut. And they knocked on the door and they knocked on the door. And, and Jesus looked outside and he said, who are you? I don't even know you. Depart from me. Matthew 41, it says that he will say to them on the left hand, when the separating of the goats and the sheep is done, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Let me tell you something. God is not willing that a human goes to hell. When angels fell, those that kept not their first estate, they were condemned to judgment and God is creating the hell, the lake of fire for them. He's not willing that any of us should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I wonder how many people, oh yeah, people joke about it. People joke about the devil. People joke about hell. They use humor to mask their fear. Yeah, when the devil gets there, he won't trust me with a pitchfork. Believe you me, when you get to hell, that'll be the farthest thought from your mind. How many people go to hell because they were planning on that? I don't think anyone does. How many people are going to wind up in hell because one day, one day, they were planning 
they're going to change. They'll take care of it. They know there's a problem. They realize that things aren't the way they should, but the devil is convincing them that they got plenty of time. You can do it sometime later. I don't know how that's going to be, brothers and sisters. I hope I never, ever come close to finding out. But I had something that happened to me several years ago. I was flying out here to minister's meeting with another preacher. He lived several hours from where I did. I had arranged to pick him up on the way to the airport. Picked him up. Had a good trip together. We got to the airport. Checked in. We went over the board. We looked at the flight departure. Saw where our gate was. Went right down to the gate. Saw the time. Everything up there on the board. And... Uh, Everything was great. We had plenty of time. We hadn't eaten, and we were feeling a little bit hungry. And there was, not 50 feet from that waiting room, there was a little cafe. Just had a little wall there. So we went around that wall, and uh, we sat down. We ordered some food, and we started fellowshipping and enjoyed the food they brought us. And after a while, we looked at our watch and said, yeah, they, they should be boarding the plane by now. And we got up from our seats and just went around that corner and the moment we went around that corner, I knew we had trouble because that entire waiting area was deserted. There wasn't even a gate attendant behind that counter. And so we started hurrying across towards that jetway. And as we got towards the jetway, the flight attendant was coming back up. And she says, oh, there you are. She said, I've been trying to get a hold of you. We've paged you on the intercom. And we said, well, yeah, here we are. He said, that's our plane. we got to get on our plane. And she looked at us and she said, I am very, very sorry. But ever since 9-11, FAA regulations stipulate that when the door of an airplane shuts, it cannot be opened again. And we sat there, stood there, looking out at that plane that we could almost touch, which was the last plane of the day. And that plane taxied out and left without us. And I recall that sinking feeling. And brothers and sisters, that's not one iota of the sort of feeling we're going to have if we wind up on the wrong side of heaven's gate. Do you know, it's so important that you can say right now, even so, come Lord Jesus, that you are watching and waiting with anticipation that if the moment if the trump sounded at this very moment, you have full confidence that you're going to glory. Because you can know. I will tell you that this evening. You can have full assurance that you're ready to go. However, it is possible that maybe things aren't quite the way they should be. And I'm not here this evening to try to stir up your emotions. But way back at the beginning of the week, we committed to letting the Holy Spirit search our lives. And I can't leave here this evening without offering one more invitation and just allowing you to let the Holy Spirit search your life. And brothers and sisters, if there's anything at all, and let me tell you, right now the devil is telling you, if you're struggling with something, that it's too small, it's insignificant, don't worry about it, don't take care of it now, wait till you go home, don't do that, don't do that. Right now, you're in the midst of loving people people who care, 
people who will pray. And I want to be certain that when we part tonight, when we go out those doors, as I shake your hands, we will meet in glory. We may never meet again here on this earth, but I want to sit there around Christ's throne with you and get to know you better throughout those ceaseless ages of eternity. I'm going to invite you to turn to number 309 in your songbook. You may think there's some things in your life you need to take care of first before you can bring the rest to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, you can't do that. Whatever it is, you need to come just the way you are. And so I invite you as we prayerfully sing tonight, bow your heads, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. And if you feel him calling, I beg of you, just stand to your feet. We want to pray with you. We want to make sure that you have that peace and that full assurance before you leave here.